Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Refs Podcast. I am your host, Charlie Kale. I'm a former Division I soccer player and professional soccer player. This is a podcast where every week I come on and talk about the mental health following the retirement from sports, because I believe that is just as important when you're in the sport as it is when you're done with the sports. I also bring in guests and experts to talk about their experiences and give tips on how to repurpose yourself after sports and how they have repurposed themselves. For this week's episode, I am so thankful I was able to sit down with Carrie Baker. Carrie Baker is a certified pediatric nurse practitioner, and she's also a pediatric primary care mental health specialist. I was so thankful I was able to bring her on because she is a professional in mental health and child care, and the whole point of this podcast is to help athletes repurpose themselves after sports and combat the mental health following it. Because it is Mental Health Awareness Month, I want to bring her on to explain what mental health actually is, how to help yourself through symptoms such as anxiety and depression, and how to gain a better understanding overall of how to repurpose yourself after sports. Carrie is very knowledgeable in mental health and gives tips and advice on how to help your mental state, perfectionism, and the unknown after sports. I hope you guys enjoy and let me know what you think. I'm so excited that you were able to come onto the podcast today, Carrie. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited that I'm able to bring on someone that knows so much about mental health, especially because May is Mental Health Month. Yes, very important. I'm just curious, why did you want to study mental health? And why was that like something you decided to kind of put your career in? Well, I think... um... I've been a pediatric nurse practitioner for about 15 years, and for about the past five or six, I have been um, doing um, pediatric primary care mental health, um, and um, I really enjoy it. Um, I like seeing the difference that you can make in someone's life, and I also believe that mental health is more important than physical health in the aspect that you really think about it, there's nothing that you say or do that doesn't first originate as a thought. Hmm. So our mind and our brain pretty much controls everything we think and do and say. And I think it's an organ that gets very neglected um, and probably is one of the most important um, organs of the body. And uh, mental illness is a serious thing um, and people die from it. It's the fourth leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds. That's a pretty astounding statistic. And 75% of all people will have a mental illness by the age of 24. So it's definitely something that is affecting lives. um, And I think we need to pay more attention to it. Uh, So I recently, within the last year, got um, board certified um, in pediatric primary care mental health to make even more of a difference um, in the lives of my patients. Wow. My jaw is actually already on the ground. You already taught me so much in these few minutes that we just started that I had no idea about. And I don't know if you know, but my whole podcast was kind of just to talk about the mental health going through your retirement after sports and how you could repurpose yourself. And I think this is going to be such an amazing episode because you're already teaching me so much. And I'm sure there's there's things that so many people can learn and that have actually no idea about. Like mental health is always mentioned and it's always like, take care of your mental health. But like, I didn't even know it was an organ first off. Well, 
so diabetes originates with an organ, right? So I always compare it with my patients to nobody has a problem if you come in the office and we tell you that you have diabetes because your pancreas is not producing enough insulin. Nobody has any qualms or any any hesitation to treat their diabetes. So the in anxiety and depression and in mental illness, there is a physiological component and an organic component. The brain produces neurotransmitters that um, play an essential role in how our brain um, critically thinks, how it's able to focus, how it's able to cope, how it's able to strategize, plan. And without those neurotransmitters or in low levels of those neurotransmitters, those functions um, cannot um, happen the way they normally happen, if they can even happen at all. And so you end up with a disease process, Um, anxiety, depression, ADD, ADHD. So it's not the stigma out there that mental health is just pull up your big girl panties and move on with it, you know, think yourself into being better, um, isn't always the case. Yeah. If, if your brain isn't producing the chemicals, just like if your pancreas isn't producing the chemical insulin, then you're going to have disease processes that sometimes need medication, not always, but sometimes. So it does, mental illness does originate in the brain, um, which is an organ of the body, just like the pancreas. Wow. I'm already learning so much. This is actually super interesting. I had no idea about any of this. Well, I knew a little bit because I've been doing research for the podcast and because I want to talk about it, but physiological reasons is like even you would just learn on a deeper level and you could actually maybe even understand yourself better. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's the stigma that we have to get away from is the stigma of anxiety and depression. That's something that people can control and they need to just get over it and that there isn't something actually physically going on with them. I think people need to understand that there is something physically happening within the brain. Um, Sometimes situations bring those on and traumas and sometimes people are just born with a brain that either doesn't make enough of those neurotransmitters, absorbs them too quickly, don't work the way that they need to work. Um, and it's just how they were born, just like you can be born with diabetes. Yeah. So there are lots of different reasons people have anxiety and depression. And most of the time, if not all of the time, it really is out of their control. I mean, most people don't put themselves in the middle of a trauma, right? And say, yeah. bring this on, right? Most people don't want to be participating in sports and have a fatal injury that knocks them out of being able to participate on the level that they were able to participate before. Yeah. So, And that's a traumatic experience. And that does affect people. And it does affect um, neurotransmitters and levels of neurotransmitters Um, and then, which then affects people's ability to cope and people's ability to function and people's ability to critically think and feel like they can move on. So, um, it, it, we really do need to change the stigma out there on mental health. Yeah. Um, can you, on that topic, just explain a little bit like what anxiety actually is and what depression actually is? Because I do a lot of research 
about it, but I'm just curious, like from the more medical standpoint, I guess, and from like a practicing professional, what it is. Well, on a very basic level, right? Anxiety is nothing more than overwhelming worry, um, fear, nervousness. Um, and on a very basic level, depression is nothing more than overwhelming sadness. And I don't know anybody who can tell me that they've never had one of those two things, yeah. right? Whether or not it becomes clinical that we need to treat, right, with either medications or counseling or counseling and meds depends on whether or not there's enough impairment in functioning. So if somebody's having a lot of impairment in functioning, being able to um, do the things of daily life, being able to um, continue um, functioning from day to day, um, depends on whether or not we need to treat it. Um, but everybody, everybody has had anxiety. Everybody at one time in their life has had overwhelming worry about something even if it's something as small as I have a huge final exam coming up, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. anxiety. That's anxiety. So depression, overwhelming sadness, your grandpa dies, right? That's, yeah. that's sad. So whether or not it needs to be treated depends on whether or not it's affecting and impairing your ability to function. Ah. So if you're asking me what's happening physiologically within the brain, that's those neurotransmitters that you have overwhelming trauma or again, organically, that's just how you were born. Um, you're either not producing enough of those neurotransmitters. They're not being left between the neurons to be able to help them communicate. Um, or they're not working properly. The yeah. brain is one of the hardest organs to understand um, and is why there's not a lot of very um, solid um, scientific information out there because yeah. it's the organ we can't study, right? Mm -hmm. Until it's no longer working. Oh, wow. That is so, actually super interesting. Right. So you're you're studying about things like neurotransmitters and anxiety and depression as as people experience those things and we we follow them and we gain more insight and research on it as we are studying the anxiety and depression on live patients if that makes sense yeah and then of course there you know when 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 people do die and i'm sure there and there has been research on you know brains and things like that after people are gone but then again it's still a lot of limited information because it's no longer working but what we do know is those neurotransmitters that are very much needed um in different lobes of the brain um to allow your neurons to communicate and function properly they're 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 not working a proper properly when we have mental illness um, and, and anxiety and depression being a mental illness. And I like to call them quite truthfully, I like to call them um, brain diseases or brain disorders <laughs> because I think mental illness has such a negative connotation and stigma to it that yeah. I personally like to just call them brain disorders. Right. I'm oh. so, but yeah, mental, <laughs> but mental illness. So yeah.
So if you do, let's say you are experienced like anxiety or depression, which almost 44% of athletes do have that feeling when they are done playing, what would be like the best course of action if you are alone? And then what would be the best course of action if you know like a friend that's going through it? How would you help someone or yourself going through it when you're done with sports? Well, I mean, again, I think it probably depends on the degree and the significance of the anxiety and depression. Is it severe enough that it's impeding function and we are having, you know, suicidal thoughts and we are not able to get out of bed and we are not able to function? Then those are things where you really need to seek a medical health professional um, and you need to um, seek treatment, whether that be counseling or counseling and medications. Um, so if it's just that overwhelming, I don't know what to do with my life now. Everything has changed. I'm not, I'm not sure where to go, what to do. My whole life has been sports and now what? Um, but it's not really impairing our function. I really think that a good starting point for everybody and I will admit myself, I mean, there's been several times throughout my 51 years of life that I have gone and I have talked to a counselor. Um, It gives you the ability to have somebody to share with that can can help you learn more about yourself. Like, where are your feelings coming from? What are some things that you can do, some coping skills? How can we bridge you from this area of your life to the new chapter of your life? Yeah. Um, so I think counseling is is probably the utmost importance um, when it comes to anybody who's having anxiety and depression at a significant level. Yeah. Um, especially because I need, I know personally as an athlete, my coping mechanisms, whenever I was feeling sad or anxious about something, were going and playing that sport or were going to go and exercise. And when you're done, you don't always necessarily have the options of like going and playing that sport and going and being with a group of people that you can relate to and can tell how you're feeling. So I think having, or like, knowing that it is okay to seek someone else outside like your teammates and what you're used to, especially in college, you have all these resources. And then when you're done, you don't really have them. And I think knowing and like, just sometimes you just need to be told again and hear again that it is okay to like go seek out someone else. It is. And and I think that especially just, so even if you say you're done with college and you know, the sports are over and that's been such a huge part of your life. And you had that, that, that teammate, you had all those resources, like you said, and then you you use exercise as a way to blow off steam, right? You have to study for a college exam and you're overwhelmed and you're stressed. You, you know, you go to the to the rec center, you blow off yeah. an hour of steam, right? Well, once you get into a job, whatever that job is in that career, you may not always have that ability to, I'm under a lot of stress. I'm just going to go to the rec for an hour or two yeah. hours, right? So having that person I think is essential. And I think the other thing that people don't understand is people have the assumption that counseling is just going in and spewing your life story and hugging it out with someone. But actually there are multiple different types of counseling and depending on what you're going through and maybe what the cause is of your anxiety or your depression, there are different types of counseling that counselors are trained in specifically that are used for certain types of um, 
anxiety and depression, ADD, ADHD. So there's cognitive Mm -hmm. behavioral therapy, there's dialectical behavioral therapy, EMDR, there is, there's so many of them. Those are the, those are the, you know, I, I work with a lot of pediatrics who have been through traumas, um, or who have maybe not the best home life or, have um, PTSD, that those are the three forms of counseling that are used the most that I refer the most to. But there are, there are so many different types of counseling. It's not, it's, it, it really is an art. And these, these counselors go to school for at least four years, and most of them have a master's degree. Um, And then I would say a significant, probably 50% or greater, have even more training and certificates after their master's degree or have their PhD. So it really is a highly trained profession. And it's different than just talking to a friend. And I don't think people understand that they really are going to get more out of it than what they think they're going to get out of it. Of course, they've got to put the effort in, right? A counselor's not got yeah. it. You can't read your mind. Um, you have to be <laughs> willing to talk and put in the, put in the effort. Um, your counselor should never work harder than you when you're in counseling. Um, but yeah. if, if you really do the work, um, they really are trained in, in different therapies to help you depending on what your need is. So I would say counseling is probably even... I even tell my pediatrics that even if you need to be on medications and I put them on medications, I even have them sign a contract that states they'll go to counseling and I hook them up Mm. with counseling resources and we talk about what counseling is and the importance of counseling because it's more important in my, in my opinion than the medications because if there was a pill that made everything better boy, this world would be like Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory, right? <laughs> people would get, people would get a burr up their bottom end and we'd pop a pill and everybody would be nice again. So yeah. medications help and they help you get those neurotransmitters back in balance so that you can do the work in counseling, but they okay. don't solve the problems and make everything go away. They kind of yeah. just give you the ability to do the work in counseling. So counseling really is the most essential part. And I would really encourage people to, to seek out a counselor. I probably, I would say a good third of my referrals come from counselors who Mm. have said, you know, I just don't know that we're going to be able to get much more done in counseling. If, if we don't get you on some medications to kind of help us out a little bit, we, we need that, we need that brain chemistry back in balance so that you have the ability to, to, to get more done in counseling. So Mm -hmm. counselors are also really good at being able to tell when they think that somebody might benefit from, um, from some medications. Ah, okay. Super interesting because I know from a personal standpoint, we did have like, when I was playing at Akron, we did have a, um, like a sports psychologist that you can talk to, but I never actually went and talked to him. I think kind of, cause like, then it was like weird to go and talk to him and it Mm -hmm. was almost like you had something wrong with you and now that I'm done I'm like I really wish I knew how that process kind of worked because now I think it's something I could really benefit from and a lot of other people can benefit from just as you said like 
They know what they're talking about. They study about it. And I think when you're done with the sport aspect, also, it's super important to be able to relate to someone because not only are you losing these resources, but I said, like, you're losing your team. And, like, right when you're done is when is the most common time for a depression between, mm-hmm. like you said, your 20s and your 30s. And you're losing all the sports and the college. So it's just so much all at once. And knowing that, like I said, going to talk to someone could help is just super refreshing and comforting almost. Well, it's interesting because you had said, right, that a lot, even for yourself, playing sports or exercising was one of your coping mechanisms, right? And we we all do that. We all develop different coping mechanisms, whether it's eating, exercising, cleaning, reading, right? We all have these things that help us um, to be able to cope when we're under stress or we're feeling stress. Well, the interesting thing is how many of those athletes, when they came into college, already had depression and anxiety that they were, quote, self-medicating with the sport because depression and anxiety and behavioral disorders are among the leading cause of illness and disabilities among adolescents. So if that's true, and statistically we know that's true, and it's, I don't know if it's so much on the rise or if we're just recognizing it more, I think it's probably both. Um, But a significant then, if that statistic's true, a significant amount of those athletes that were going into college to play already had depression and anxiety that they may have been using their sport, right, and their exercise as a coping mechanism that was enabled, enabled them to get through and manage their anxiety and depression. But now you've taken that coping mechanism away. And then yeah. that's no longer there. So the depression and the anxiety may not necessarily be something new, but may be now compounded because their coping mechanism was taken away. So just a thought, just a food for thought. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm thinking about that. I've never thought about it, like looking at it that way because I didn't really know. But now that you say that, I'm like, wow, I, I like, I wonder, I wonder if that's what was happening or like how many athletes that is happening to, because I mean, it is something you do like every day. So it almost like is a mask and a cover for like maybe what you are actually feeling. Cause you could just take it out in the sport or you could like take it out in some physical way. Right. Yeah. Because we, we know that exercise is also a very good way to reduce anxiety and depression because of the endorphin release. So especially if you're a college athlete, like my son played football in college and he was, I mean, his structure was rigorous. I mean, his schedule every day was the same and the amount of time he was out there on the field practicing and then he had games and then he had scrimmages. And so he was constantly, and then if he wasn't, you're in the weight room and you're doing workouts and you're, you know, you're, you're doing your conditioning. So you're, that's a level of endorphin release that most people don't take with them after, even if they continue to exercise and are healthy and put that in their daily life, they're not doing it to the same level they were when they're in college. So they're not expending as much endorphins as they were when they were participating in college. 
I literally think that's what's happening with me because I mean, when I talk to my parents and my friends, I'm like, I just don't like feel the same. I mean, I work out like crazy, like my mom, Yeah. but I still will not like, I didn't even realize it till my mom told me the other day, but it's never going to be the same. And that's also kind of another thing you have to just face and like push through is you're never going to be able to get all those endorphins yeah. and all that same feeling that you had. And that's just another kind of cycle and chapter you have to close and get through it. Absolutely, because when you play a game, you have even more of a, an adrenaline rush and an endorphin release, right? Because now we're adding competition on top of it. So yeah. it's there's there is a lot more that's happening um, when you're playing a college sport than when you're exercising outside of college. And so, huh. if you think about it, it it may be, may have been a way that people were dealing with their anxiety and depression, and maybe didn't even realize that they were, I mean, yeah. it may not have even been, they even knew it, or maybe they knew that there were times that they were overly anxious or sad, but they were able to work through it. And now we take away all of those coping mechanisms. We take away all of that endorphin release and it feels bigger and greater than what it was before. So would you, I mean, just from my personal perspective of listening to you, would you um, recommend then finding like several different coping mechanisms? Because if you are like coping just with one thing and almost putting all your eggs in one basket, can that like have a, a detrimental effect on you then? Well, I think, I, I think coping mechanisms are great because we all need our coping mechanisms. Life is never going to be perfect. You're never, mm -hmm. even if you're somebody who has anxiety and depression because that's just how your brain was born, right? You, you have anxiety yeah. and depression. It just is what it is. And you treat it with medications and counseling or just counseling. You're still going to have moments, right, where you have life is full of ups and downs. And some of those down moments are good moments, like going through an immense amount of stress, right? Your daughter's mm -hmm. getting married, you're working a full-time job, your son is getting ready to graduate college, finances are changing. Those are all really good things, but are stress. And that that produces the, the chemical response in your brain, whether it's good stress or bad stress, is the same. So coping mechanisms are great. And I think that you need to find what works for you. The things that we know that work to help with anxiety and depression and that the neurotransmitter balance in the brain are getting great sleep, getting yourself into that good REM sleep, you know, a good eight to nine hours a night um, for yeah. most adults, exercising, you know, getting at least an hour of exercise a day, which doesn't mean you have to go on a full out run, but you know, yeah. going on a walk for three miles at a, at a good pace, getting on a treadmill, lifting some weights, you know, releasing some of those endorphins, eating yeah. a healthy diet. You know, we know that you use lots of processed foods and you're eating a lot of high glycemic index foods. Those are not healthy for your body and your body doesn't function as well, including your brain. So getting those good antioxidants and eating a good um, well-balanced meal, uh, meals and having a healthy diet, um, and surrounding yourself with supportive people and family and friends, um, and not shutting yourself down, but allowing yourself to have 
have some downtime and, and be with people who are supportive and who, um, care about you are all things that are very important to do, um, and taking care of yourself. Um, and we know that those help with anxiety and depression. Um, some other things are, you know, reducing screen time, right? I mean, this world is, is gotten to be where we're either on a computer, we're on a TV, we're on video games, we're on our phone, we're on our tablets and and blue light affects our brains. And so having that healthy balance, um, with how much screen time you're using. Um, and so those are, those are the things that I think on a daily level, on a daily basis are things that are manageable, um, to incorporate into your life that can help with anxiety and depression and can help with, with maintenance. Mm. That's super, I, I, it's very nice to hear this because, I mean, it's always stuff I'm curious about and I do a lot of research about, but hearing it, like I said, from a professional like you is, it's just like, wow, I maybe need to pay attention to some more of these things or maybe I really do need to focus on one of these aspects a little more. Yeah. How, because a lot of athletes when they are playing have this feeling of like perfectionism and need everything to be okay. So and I think that would affect your mental health when you're done. So how would you cope, I guess, with the feeling of perfectionism and also just like the thoughts that you're having? Not Without going to a counselor or anyone, how would you do it by yourself? Well, I think, I think the, the most important thing is to try and reframe your thinking um, mm-hmm. because perfectionism is an illusion, right? If no one can ever be perfect then perfectionism isn't something that can ever be obtained. So failure isn't a, if it happens, it's when it happens. So what you do when you fail, I think makes more of a difference than trying to make sure you never fail. So I think the only thing that you can really do with yourself is self-positive and surrounding yourself with people who are, positive and supportive and share that same mindset. If you're around somebody or people and we've all been around them who are constantly always negative, Mm -hmm. it starts to really affect your thinking and it starts to really bring you down. So being around positive people who are supportive and reframing your thoughts, um, whether that's in your head or writing your writing them down and journaling, but trying to just constantly challenge yourself to reframe, reframe those thoughts and, and be realistic. Um, Not expect something more from yourself than what you're capable of giving and and no one's capable of perfection ever. Yeah, you definitely can't do that a lot because when you do expect so much from yourself, that's when you like get overwhelmed and then you have all these negative thoughts and it just kind of spirals. And I think that's something a lot of athletes need to work on because you're always expected to give a thousand percent when you're playing. So when you're done, you're almost like feel like you have to do that. So 
like learning how to just maybe dial back the dial a little bit is something that I think I need to work on and maybe other athletes might need to just like realize they're doing like you don't need to be going at a thousand miles and perfecting everything now like we're done playing and it's a chance to like I said turn back the dial a little bit slow down a little bit think a little bit more and just take care more of like your mental health overall absolutely because are any of those athletes when they were playing perfect no so if you weren't perfect when you were playing so you never obtained perfectionism when you were playing because you were never perfect why would you expect that self why would you expect that from yourself after you're done playing facts carrie that's a really good statement <laughs> I don't know why. (laughs) So that's where I say you have to start really thinking and reframing your thoughts. And I'll be honest with you. You say, you know, without going to a counselor, but what I just said, I learned in counseling. Yeah. That was part of what I learned and what a counselor helped me see and to learn about myself because I'm a very type A perfectionist person. And Mm -hmm. I had to really learn that. And so and my daughter's an LPC, so she's a licensed okay. practical counselor. So I, I think she counsels me all the time too. And she <laughs> she has reminded me often when I fall back into that mom, you're not going to be perfect and you can't save everybody. You You need to quit expecting something from yourself that you are never going to achieve. You're never mm-hmm. going to be perfect, mom. Yeah. You're going to mess up. But what do you do when you mess up? Do you learn from it? Do you get up and try again? Or do you allow failure to defeat you and say, well, I'm never going to try that again then, or I'm a failure. I can't do yeah. anything. So it's it's really about reframing those thoughts and, and being realistic. Yeah. I think, I mean, personally, everything you've talked about throughout this whole episode is stuff I'm going to re-listen to several times, stuff I'm going to like really take like a deep breath with and think about because everything that you've mentioned is something that's so important and something that's very overlooked especially like maybe with people my age who mental health is becoming more of a thing I don't even I don't even like calling it a thing because like you said it's your organ everyone has it it's really important and I think it's just something that needs to be more prioritized and not so much in like a away. It just needs to be more important, period. It does. Absolutely. And and we, mental health, the awareness of it, I, I think that a couple things are happening. I think, I do think it is on the rise. I mean, if you just look at the state the world is in and the challenges mm-hmm. and the things that we have to face and social media, of course, that all plays a part in anxiety and depression. So I do think we're seeing more of it and it's on the rise. But I also think that the numbers are higher because primary care providers and other um, physicians are recognizing it and diagnosing it yeah. more. So wow. we're well, we're just they're just starting to say oh and be and I think they've always recognized it. I think yeah. they're now willing to diagnose it and label it. Whereas before, I think people were afraid to do that because they didn't think they were qualified or they didn't want to quote unquote label somebody. And I think now we're acknowledging it more. So the numbers, I think, are higher because it is happening more. But I think it's also true that we're just starting to recognize it more. But it's always been there. 
Wow, yeah, I agree with everything, and I'm like so thankful that you're able to come on and give all these amazing ways to help with your anxiety and your depression in like actual medical ways and ways from a like a licensed professional because I mean I am talking about these things and I do interview people but obviously you never really know about it unless you study it and I think you just brought on a really great like scientific way and like perspective of how to look into all these things and something that I'm gonna take with me and something I hope my listeners take with me and yeah that was amazing well thank you thank you for having me on Yes. Well, my last question, sure. it could be short, but yeah. how I always ask everyone how you would, I guess yours would be, how would you, what would your top tip be to someone who purposing themselves after sport? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> well, beings that I work with pediatrics, right? So this, yeah. I, I will, I will qualify this with saying I'm not, this is not my area of expertise, but as a person, um, a mother, a person, a provider, and someone who specializes in mental health, I would say that the first thing you have to do is self-care. Take care of you, not just physically, but mentally, and give yourself some time to adjust every phase of life, whether you're an athlete or not an athlete. Um, You're a college student. That's an adjustment from high school. You are a fiance and getting married. You're now adjusting to being a husband or a wife. You have your Mm -hmm. first child. You're now adjusting to being a mother or a father. So I think the most important thing is to, at each phase of life, allow yourself some grace and some time to adjust and pay attention to your physical and your mental health and take care of you because you can't take care of anybody else until you take care of yourself first, mentally and physically. Harry, what a way to end it. That was amazing. (laughs) You have a lot of good, like, you're very encouraging. And I just really like all the positivity and like the good thoughts you brought into my brain and hopefully other people's brains, because it really does all think, start with a thought. Your mental health is important. Your physical health is important. And it's something that you need to work on for yourself first. A hundred percent. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for coming on. I loved every second of that. You had me thinking over here. My jaw was dropping. I was like, wow. I like, wow. I was just thinking, wow, a lot. Because I was like, this is just a new way that my brain is thinking now. Good. I'm glad. I want to challenge people to think about mental health differently. I think that is important. And um, I am glad you had me on. It was great. All right. Well, thank you, Carrie. Have a good day. Thanks. You too. <laughs>